0: Emil Bruner has said this about the church, and I've quoted this before, and you'll probably hear from me again. The church exists by mission as a fire exists by burning. Where there's no mission, there's no church. I'll read that again. The church exists by mission as a fire exists by burning. Where there's no mission, there is no church. So probably gonna be surprised that we're talking about Mark 6. Seven thirteen, which you just heard this morning. So if you want to open your Bibles to that, let's dig in. Let me set some context. I hope some of you remember vaguely the gospel passage from last week. Uh, Jesus is rejected in his own hometown, right? He's teaching in the local synagogue and his hometown folk, they took offense. They said things along these lines. Where did this man get these things? Was this wisdom given to him? Uh, how are such mighty works done by his hands? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't Mary and Joseph's son? All that stuff. Let me give you the tonal translation of what they are telling Jesus. It is jeering, and it's kind of a who does he think he is? Isn't that Jesus, the carpenter's son? He's not better than us. That is the tone of what you're hearing. This is a universal story, right? Big fish like leaves the small pond. Okay small fish, small pound, small pond fish are jealous and maybe a little judgy. So they're jealous of Jesus. Who does he think he is? How, there's kind of a how dare you behind it. There's a jeer behind what they're saying there. And so Jesus says that line, a prophet is without honor where? In his own hometown. Their lack of faith shocks even Jesus, which says a lot about what went down. It takes a lot to shock Jesus. That's how bad it was. Okay. Now, I'm hoping maybe even from months ago, you remember some of my comments about uh, earlier in the year about shame and honor. I mean, those are big uh, kind of relational cultural currencies in the ancient Near East. Very powerful. Okay, not, not so much for us or not in the same way. Very powerful. Two very powerful forces that govern society in pretty unmistakable ways. Uh, honor, limited resource. Completely limited, never enough to go around. So only enough for a few people. Shame, however, <laughs> uh, that was available in abundance, okay? So there are winners and there are losers in that society and there are real consequences to being shamed or to being granted honor. That's just the way it rolled. And you wanted to climb that social ladder. And if you couldn't, just, it was very difficult to move out of those uh, stations in life. What you need to hear, Jesus was shamed, okay? So right before this passage that we're about to get into, Jesus was shamed. He was not given honor that prophets typically uh, were given in that culture. So it's a real blow. We need to hear that. So on the heels of that humiliation, okay, being publicly shamed and having Jesus's uh, rightful honor with help, if anybody had right to honor it's him, comes what? Mission. <laughs> so after humiliation, after shame, Mission. Now, if I'm writing this story, or as I'm reading it, that is not what I expect next. Um, maybe some licking of the wounds, maybe some circling of the wagons, maybe, I don't know. It's not what I expect, but it's kind of, you can't keep a good man down. So, this is that God wastes nothing principle, right? Using adversity to redemptive ends. So, the rejection that Jesus experiences, that's going to become part of the training for the 12, okay? they would encounter the same rejection and shame that Jesus did as they moved out on mission. So the things that Jesus experiences, he's going to make that part of their required reading. So getting into the text, verse 7, the 12 are sent out. So Jesus scatters them like seed. There's a division of labor here, certainly. There is a certain amount of the harvest is right. The workers are few. we have heard that before. For this mission to succeed, Jesus needs co laborers. He needs helpers, people that He can trust in and trust things to. So He scatters them, like He sends them out, all 12. And He does it how? Do they go out solo? Do they go out solo? No. How do they go out? Where's it? Two by two. I didn't want to do this as a hint, but I could have. Uh, two by two. So, missional work is never done alone. Never, and that is wise. Listen to Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. Two are better than one. Woe to him or her that is alone when he falls because he has no one to help him get up. Okay, So there's this wisdom here. With two people, you can accomplish more. With two people, you can encourage one another. With two people, you got two sets of eyes, which are always better than one. With two people, it can be iron-sharpening iron. With two, you have fellowship. You're not alone. You're not alone. So Christian mission is just meant to be a communal endeavor, okay? Not a solo Lone Ranger affair. You guys have heard me talk about that. Let me give you a Hebrews 10, 24, 25, sort of a similar exhortation here. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. Community is to be a strength, something we lean on. Uh, The ever-quotable J.C. Ryle has this to say. There's hardly a case, a single case, in the Acts of the Apostles, Acts, where we find Paul or any other apostle working entirely alone. It is difficult to avoid the conclusion that if the rule of going forth two by two had been more strictly observed, the missionary field would have yielded larger results than it has. So there's a wisdom, there's a practical wisdom, there's a spiritual wisdom to going out two by two. So they're sent. They're sent two by two. And it says Jesus gives them his authority over unclean spirits. So the authority of Jesus is our equipping. It's something we receive, we do not uh, take. It's a gift, right? It's a gift. And in this case, Mark mentions over unclean spirits, some of which do cause sickness, which we learn from other gospel passages, It's interesting, the world that Jesus and the disciples inhabited. I mean, the spiritual and the physical, they're just kind of intertwined in a way. The thought that demonic spirits could cause sickness, that wasn't an odd thought to Jesus or the disciples. So, okay, sent two by two, you're given authority. So you're tasked, you're equipped. Uh, Go for it. Jesus continues in this rather practical vein. I mean, very practical here. Take nothing for the journey. This is verse eight, if you're curious, uh, other than basically a staff, sandals, and one tunic, okay? In other words, lean and mean. I want you to be lean and mean. Bare necessities is sandal, staff, tunic. That's the bare necessities. In other words, it's that mm, admonition to just travel light, okay? Travel light because you need to be mobile. You need to be agile you need to be able to listen and respond to the Holy Spirit, right? And if you've got a lot of stuff, hard to do that. So this is a minimalism by choice. No food, did you catch that? No money, no bag to hold it. uh, No kind of change of clothes even? Nope. So uh, the specifics of that list don't matter. Uh, I I wouldn't say they don't matter. It's not they don't matter what they mean is probably the most important thing. If we get into like, wait, why is it this but not that? I think we miss the point. What the list means is this, is a call to simplicity and to dependence on Jesus. That's what we're supposed to glean from his instruction. Simplicity and dependence, okay? So what's truly needed for mission? Based off this passage, you've got to have a call. In other words, God must be the one sending you. You don't decide to do this. You don't take it on yourself, Right? So there's a call, and we respond to that. A call to go. But there's a reliance upon him, and there's the boldness to strike out. Which I kind of love that, because hello, East Charlotte. Here we are today. All the essential elements. It's encouraging. we walked through some of those steps. We are walking out some of those steps right now. We heard God's call. Try to be faithful to that. Rely upon him and strike out. And here we be. Thanks be to God. Pretty cool. What's needed on mission? Call to go. And the reliance upon him and the boldness to do it. There's a key subtext, which I think the rest of the New Testament will bear out, about mission. Brief, uh, little rabbit track. I don't think it's too much of a rabbit track. Um, In mission, what is really important? Obviously, the message we carry in and who we're representing is important. But we are the ambassadors of Christ. So we're the medium, right? Message, the medium. Remember the sayings about that? We're the medium. Jesus is the message inside us. You've got to have both. They're both indispensable. So this is very incarnational. This is very powerful because we are made in God's image. So people, you, me, those we seek to reach, they are the resource. They're what matters in mission a lot more than material resources, how much money we have how big the budget is how big our staff is how many people i mean it's just not about that church is people right church's people the building serves that but it's not about the budget it's not about the stuff so travel life jesus says i'll give you what you need but we're the medium he's the message so never forget that you are the powerful part of that mission not all the stuff that you have not the bells and whistles you Jesus offers them more practical advice, gives them a little strategy of sorts. He continues along here in in 1011. So whenever you're in our house, uh, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Now, you know, finding lodging in somebody else's house, not uncommon. In the ancient Near East hospitality, it was just practiced in that way very different than, than our day and age. You know, I don't strike out on a family trip going, well, I didn't book any places to stay, Jude uh, and I hope you can find some place. We'll just, we'll just count on the hospitality of strangers. No, it just doesn't work that way. But in that day and age, it was common. So if you're a teacher, an itinerant preacher traveling about, you were often given food and lodging as you went around. It was an expected part of the culture. So just, it's different than what we do. So to be rejected, For a family or a village to withhold that hospitality uh, or to be outright hostile to someone else in in that way was actually pretty surprising because it went against cultural norms. So example, uh, prior to this passage, remember when Jesus and the disciples are received initially in Nazareth and they say, hey, they invite him to come teach at the synagogue, okay? To be fully rejected in the way Jesus describes is unusual. Even there they got half and a half their foot halfway in the door. So to be rejected in the way Jesus describes is unusual. You don't expect it. He's telling the disciples about this because he is preparing them for opposition that's going to come. He knows this. So staying in homes, receiving uh, hospitality, it it was just part of that culture. It was how things worked. Jesus isn't making some big point here about uh, some ecclesiastical statement about homes being a holier place for mission or fellowship or for the house church movement, it's not about that. It's very practical. And if we're gonna make anything of Jesus' very practical strategy of staying in homes, it's this: it's grassroots. I love this. It's grassroots evangelism, it's about people, it's about relationships, it's about dining with people, sharing the table with people, fellowship, all that stuff. Because they're gonna be interacting very closely with the folks they stay with, right? This is a very different approach than taking, uh, kind of trying to take on mission by taking on the establishment, right? The cultural powers of the day, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. This is just grassroots ministry. I love that. So we need to get that from that. I think that's the meaning of what we're supposed to get grassroots, people, relationships, table fellowship, one on one conversations. It's beautiful. No shocker, some are going to give them this hospitality. Disciples are going to get food and lodging. They're going to be received. They're going to be listened to by some. And others, Jesus implies, they're not going to be received. In fact, their message is going to be rejected. And again, Jesus seems to offer a lot of practical wisdom here. I think it kind of comes down to this. Look, don't waste your time fighting the opposition. Don't do it. Don't try to convert your critics. The disciples weren't to force themselves on an unwilling audience. Crassly put... Uh, No pearls before swine. (laughs) Um, But there is more to it than that. There's more to it because Jesus makes it abundantly clear that to reject the disciples, actually, is a weighty thing because it's a rejection of him. It's very weighty. Jesus took this seriously and personally, and I mean that literally. So in such those ways that if the disciples experienced that kind of rejection, they were to shake the dust off their feet, a phrase you've probably heard quite a few times. You might wonder, what does that mean? you can kind of see, well, is it kind of a eh, thumbing of the nose at someone, what have you. Um, here's what it means. So an Orthodox rabbi, when they would leave a Gentile territory, they would shake the dust off their feet because they didn't want to be defiled. They didn't want to take that dirty Gentile dust back into the Holy Land. So they were preventing ritualistic defilement. Okay? Now it still leaves me going, okay, but what does that mean then in this context? I get that it's not a good thing, but what does it mean? What does shaking off the dust of your feet mean here as Jesus describes it? It is his way of saying, those who do not receive me, my disciples, right, are not my people. That's a weighty thing. That's a very weighty thing. So when you shake the dust off your feet, it's, it's a very prophetic um, and public witness against the household, against that community that rejected the disciples. Prophets did this sort of stuff all the time in the Old Testament. It's like sacramental performance art that they did in public. So they did this stuff. And it's weighty because you're testifying against someone, indicting judgment that would come unless repentance occurred in their hearts. This foreshadows what we see later in the Acts of the Apostles and the Epistles, the binding, the loosing, the Jesus empowering the disciples who then are known as the Apostles with his authority. It's weighty stuff. It's heavy duty. So check it out. We've gone through four verses, 7 to 11, whether you know it or not. Jesus gets them rolling on mission, and he begins by telling them a lot of how to go about it. You notice how practical this is. Very, very practical. Here's the means. Here's the method. Here's the best practices, if you will. Uh, but thus far, we haven't even gotten to, like, the content. He told us, like, how to do this, Jesus. But, like, what's the content? Like, what do we do? What's the what? That's 12 and 13. So let's get to that. The content of their mission, three key actions, three key things. First one will not surprise you preaching a proclamation. Okay? It says they went about preaching, uh, uh, preaching repentance. So that preaching, that proclamation, always part and parcel of Christian mission. It's always there. Always. And the message is one of repentance and hope, right? In this case, what they were probably equipped to do, I'm guessing, is probably similar, similar to John the Baptist's message of repentance. That's my guess, but we don't get details there. So the first piece, first action piece that Jesus gives them for content, preaching a proclamation for repentance. Second piece, exorcism. Pretty light. <laughs> exorcism. So you're casting out demons and releasing people from affliction. We see from scriptural accounts that demonic possession harmed both body and soul. Sometimes will, sometimes one. but, but it's, people lived under that oppression. So it gives them power to cast out unclean spirits. And then the healing of the sick. Third piece, healing of the sick by anointing. With oil. This would have been like olive oil, right? This was, whoa, hey, boy, howdy. Hey, hey, it was me. Song guy goes, hey, not me. We know. Josh is not you. It's me. I messed with my... Uh, Mike. Healing the sick with olive oil. Now, this is really interesting. This was a spiritual practice, certainly. Think of uh, James 5 14 when it says, Hey, are you sick? Call the elders, have them come pray for you uh, and anoint you with oil. Okay, so it was a spiritual practice, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit. So there was that. But you would also anoint people for medical reasons. Like if you look back in the Old Testament, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, you would anoint people with oil for healing, like literal like curative effects. Uh parable of the Good Samaritan, what do they do when they dress their wounds? They put oil on them. The wounded man receives that. I don't think it's real important. Is, are we talking about a spiritual sacramental practice? Are we talking about a medical one? I think the point is both are curative. Both are about healing. So preach and proclaim repentance. Exercise demons. And heal the sick by anointing them. Now, Bring this together. I want you to notice how holistic that is. You see how holistic this mission is. This mission that Jesus empowers them to do. It's it's quite a mixture, right? And it can make some modern day evangelicals a, a little nervous. Why? Well, because Jesus and the early church, they didn't make a big distinction between like the spiritual work of mission and what I mean by His is saving of souls through repentance and faith. And the healing work of mission, deliverance from demonic possession, or the healing of illness, they just didn't separate all that stuff out. It was a holistic mission of word and deed that ministered to body and soul. In Christian mission in the modern world, John Stott puts it this way, the loving service which God sends his people into the world to render includes both evangelism and social action. For each is in itself an authentic expression of love, and neither needs the other to justify it. There you go. Holistic mission. Holistic. Now, one thing I failed to mention, which I hope this will make sense. Do you guys remember the comments Paul talked about with Mark making a sandwich? Not a literal sandwich. Like a literated thing. Like there's there's the two pieces of bread and the meat in the middle, and you watch what Mark does. And You'll see a sandwich, here's a story that begins, and there'll be a little diversion in the middle, and there's a sandwich at the end, and you go, what's that about? To draw attention to what's in the middle. Uh, Okay. Sorry, I hope you caught all that. Uh, This is part of a sandwich, this passage is. So our passage is the top piece of bread. Think of it that way. And the second piece of bread is the feeding of the 5,000, which happens in verse 30 and following. What is in the middle there in 7 to 29? What's the meat that we need to pay attention to? why am I even putting you through this? <laughs> it is about the death of John the Baptist, his beheading by Herod. The point is, this is foreshadowing the cost of mission and the cost of following Jesus. So the opposition is fierce. And the disciples are going to face this one day. Jesus knows this. So the missional climate is this. Some reception to hostile, be on your guard. There is a real cost. You bring restoration and deliverance. Absolutely. But it is very much opposed by the world, the flesh, and the devil. So that's the sandwich, right? But, 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 in spite of that opposition, the work of God will endure. It will. His mission will prevail through the lives of faithful men and women like you and I. So the last couple verses serve to remind us that the disciples, they were empowered to carry out their mission. They were empowered. Jesus didn't call them to this impossible task and say, hey, good luck. Good luck. He didn't just orphan them to that, to their own devices and resources, and their own strength and say, I hope you work really hard to do that. Good luck with that. No, <laughs> no. They preached, they proclaimed, and some responded to faith and repentance and were saved in that fullest sense of the word. So people were free from demonic oppression, right? Demonic possession. The sick were made well and found wholeness. That's the fruit of the mission of Jesus. The mission that we've inherited and been entrusted with, it's restorative. It touches body and soul. It mends broken people, broken places. It offers real hope. I mean, this passage is just, it's the heart of God for the world. And it's the heart of God for Charlotte and our corner of the world. Let me close here. I'd love to take credit for the scripture readings today, but I can't. I hope you caught all this. Sometimes God does a really cool thing with the lectionary. It doesn't always line up with what's going on in the church. Uh, but, boy, this week, it was, I just thought it was perfect. Uh, today, I think, is one such Sunday where it just lined up beautifully. I don't know if you heard the Amos passage that April read. All about the plumb line. <laughs> I didn't pick that out. I didn't orchestrate that. And tell, let me tell you, that's not a common mention. There's not just a gajillion references in the Old Testament to plumb lines. It's a very specific passage. And that one just, just happened to be today for us. So I love that. Our first Sunday in East Charlotte. Plumb line is a central image for us and has been this, this year, right? It's been a defining symbol for King of Kings 2.0. Jesus is our plumb line. So that was our first reading. Just, just happened that way. You gotta love it. The same goes for our gospel passage. I did not cherry pick that. I didn't go, mmm, gosh, God I have a really good missional passage. Mmm, No, no. Here we are Finally, I mean, finally, finally, finally in East Charlotte at Eastway Way Baptist, a place uh, we've been laboring to be in East Charlotte. I mean, we have been longing and we have been praying for over a year. And God's first word to us is a mission. <laughs> According to Mark 6, a very holistic mission, the type of mission that we're trying to embrace here as we uh, sit down and return to East Charlotte. Our very first plumb line value, if you're wondering is actually missional. We have five different values. Missional is the first piece, and here's what, what it said, here's what we say about it. The stubborn belief that the grace of God leads us to embody the gospel of Jesus holistically in word, deed, with the entirety of our lives. Missional. Just happened to me in the passage. I didn't pull that one out. It was just there for the picking. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, faith is another one of our plumb line values. And here's what we have to say about that on the website and whatnot. Uh, willing to risk and eager to trust God as he calls us to follow him. Willing to risk, eager to trust God as he calls us to follow him. And here we are. This has been a move of faith. We've taken a step forward in faith in being here, having moved in faith uh, wondering more about this mission that Jesus is calling us to here in East Charlotte. So this is the same faith the disciples practice, okay? in embarking on mission with Jesus having entrusted that to them per Mark 6 today. Folks, here's the point of all that. I see that as a very, very, very encouraging and good sign. Very, very good. Uh, It's not chance. It's not good luck. It's not happenstance. It's not the universe smiling down on us. And it's not karma. It's not any of that stuff. It's the goodness of God that we're here. It's God confirming and affirming He's called us to Charlotte for such a time as this. We've got good work ahead of us. Is it going to be opposed? Yep, you bet. You bet. That's almost a sign that we're doing the right thing. (laughs) We've already been experiencing some of that. But I want to say be encouraged. Be encouraged, people of God. We're on the right track. We're on the right track. God will give us what we need to do what he has called us to do. So this is our beginning.